0: This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and
1: Jeff Flair on the Sportsnet
0: Radio Network.
1: Welcome in to a kick in the grass. It is a messy Monday edition of the show. Yeah. Joining us today will be ESPN's Mark Ogden and Gab Marcotti as well. Follow along on Twitter. I'm at Dan Riccio underscore and he is at S.N. Jeff Blair. Our our illustrious producer is Cam We have new episodes every Monday. Subscribe so that you never miss a show. Jeff, it is August 31st and at the moment, Lionel Messi is still a member of Barcelona. How much longer do you think that will be the case?
0: Look, I I, I don't know if he will play for Barcelona this year. I don't know how uh, you know, how, how obstinate he's going to be, but I don't see him going any place else right now. Uh, I I just, you know, it seems to become now a point of pride with the, with La Liga at a time when, you know, they've, they're looking at, at having a loosening of restrictions placed on them by the Spanish government for their TV contract. Uh, You know, there's tremendous economic dislocation resulting from, from COVID-19. I just think the whole league has so much at stake that uh, once you get lawyers and governments involved in this, I honestly, I it, again, it depends how obstinate he wants to be, but it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if Messi sits out. And man, at 33, you know, good luck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh yeah, I mean all that's happened, um, you know, that just the press release that La Liga sent out yesterday saying that the seven hundred million euro exit clause is is still valid, uh, basically saying like stand off, you guys aren't getting Lionel Messi. We know nobody can afford this, uh, even in normal times. Never mind in the midst of a global pandemic when you're all, you know, playing in front of empty stadiums and really hurting um in terms of your financial assets at the moment. So I just don't see how a team can pay for this right now. And if Messi doesn't, you know, win this legal battle that he's seemingly getting prepared for after he sent the bureau fax last week, because that's how we yeah. all, you know, communicate these days now, Jeff, via fax, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's so, well, carrier, I
0: guess carrier pigeon wasn't available, right? Is that is that kind of where we're at right now? Carrier pigeon wasn't available. Yeah, Gone. pretty
1: much. Um, but you know, Lionel Messi's he's preparing for a legal battle. That's why he's he's going about this the way that he is. Didn't show up for his medical uh, yesterday, which was Sunday. So, uh, I, you know, I I really see this as as both sides are are digging in right now. And look, we've talked about this in the past. PSG and Manchester City are probably the only likely scenarios because they're the only ones that can afford Lionel Messi. Um, but truthfully, and, and I said this a couple of weeks to you, ago to you, Jeff, and just I think it's time for Barcelona to move on. I, I know he's basically God around there, and you can see the protests already from fans outside the Camp Nou. Um, and it, it's, it's not an easy transition, but... I just think that this is this is time. Um, he's not the player that he once was. He doesn't cover as much ground as he used to. He still scores and boatloads and is genius, but the moments are always going to be there with Lionel Messi when you have a player of his talent. But just look at the last couple of years, you know, the all of the Champions League exits, they they've all been uh in just devastating fashion, whether it was against Roma, whether it was against uh, Bayern this year, Liverpool, PSG. You know, it, it's happened four years in a row. This is not new. Uh, Messi does not play a lick of defense. And in today's modern game, you need players that are going to do it all. And Barcelona, every time they've come up against better teams in the Champions League, they continuously have shown that they aren't good enough with a squad built around Lionel Messi. Now you've got mm. Usman Dembele. You've got Antoine Griezmann uh, that you've spent boatloads of money on. You can try to get Philip Coutinho to maybe work out now that he's back with the club. Frankie de Jong. You've, you've got players. You've got pieces. Let let those guys build a new Barcelona rather than trying to keep it under Messi's shadow.
0: No you know I, I again i i just think this is this is i don't think if you're barcelona you can sit back and look at this uh, logically does that make sense <laughs> i you know I, I think there's there's there's, no, you're there's right. too much there's too much emotion in, involved in this decision now you are right it it would be easier or should be easier to make this decision with a new manager uh, it would be even easier with a new team president. But, of course, if you do get a new team president, there's very much a chance that Lionel Messi decides that, that he decides he, he, he wants to stay. But, you know, I, I, from a marketing point of view, it makes perfect sense for Man City. But I just think even with Lionel Messi, I look at that Man City's back line. They're still susceptible. Uh, you know, there there has to be. I think there has to be more thought put into what Man City wants to do. Because I'll tell you what, it, it, Man City can play their cards right. Two years down the road, I think people are going to be talking more about Kevin De Bruyne than Lionel Messi. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't want, uh, I, I would hate to see Man City undo a lot of good that they've done by bringing in Messi. And that's not a knock on Messi. He's shown this year, look, coming out of the pandemic, he's shown this year that he'll play a variety of roles for Barca he's certainly not a, a selfish player on the pitch uh you know he's willing to subjugate his own you know his, his own success at times for that of the team but um Man City's got a they have they have to do more than that you know they have to be a little more tactical and a little more strategic in their moves
1: I mean I I know I uh you give me a lot of flack for making uh Cristiano Ronaldo jokes but the, the... The expectation of just bringing Lionel Messi into your club at his age is going to um, just bring you trophies, bring you the Champions League that you've so coveted for all of these years. Um, it's it's a misnomer. So there's yes. got to be more to this uh, than than just that. And I know Manchester City is trying to grow you know grow their brand globally and all of these things. But this is a team that scored over 100 goals last year, Jeff, in the Prem. And yeah. they were still you know, 20 points off the pace from, from Liverpool. Goals are not the issue with Manchester City. And if you're PSG, yeah, it'd be a hell of a lot of fun to, to watch Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi play together. Um, but, but even that um, doesn't seem to... Is that going to be what gets them over the hump? They still don't have the midfield play uh, to, to cope with some of the elites in Europe. And and that's where this lies. And the other team that's been linked is uh, is Inter in in Italy, which I I don't think I could think of a a worse possible fit for Lionel Messi playing right (laughs) wing back for Antonio Conte. Like, it's just it's not going to work, man.
0: It's not it's not what I would call a marriage made in heaven by any stretch of the imagination. I think that I think you're pretty safe there. I think You're pretty safe there.
1: Uh, let's, uh, let's bring in our first guest here today. He is uh, ESPN senior writer, Gab Marcotti. Thanks for this, Gab. How are you? All good, all good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for making the time for us today. It's uh, uh, just another day in the soap opera of Lionel Messi. I, I don't know, Gab. The more I, I see this developing, it, it just doesn't seem like Barcelona or La Liga has any interest in letting Messi go unless you know the Brinks truck gets backed up into Spain.
2: Yeah, and I think in some ways, you know, it's, it's understandable, right? Um, he's a major asset to uh, Barcelona, and he's a major asset to La Liga. And as everybody knows, in recent years, La Liga lost Cristiano Ronaldo and, uh, and Neymar before that. And uh, you need to hang on to your marketable superstars, right? Um, and then I think that's a big part of it from a league's perspective. From Barcelona's perspective, I mean, it goes beyond that simply because what he signifies uh, to the club and the role that he has uh, and that he's played in the club's history and, and I think will continue to play in the future, even if he does leave.
0: You know, Gab, you mentioned the the importance of Messi to La Liga. And, you know, look, I, I understand that earlier this year the, the Spanish government or the king or crown, whoever, makes a decision... Uh, it has removed restrictions on the length of TV contract. La Liga, uh, La Liga can pursue; they can go after a five or six-year contract, I guess, like other leagues now. Um, there's also, I, I believe, restrictions now in Spain on how much, uh, on what percentage of uh, of of marketing revenue a team can derive from 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 betting. I, I mean, I'll, I, I just I have to ask you: Is this league? Is this league? teetering a little bit here and it's not not going out of business but in terms of losing it's rather lofty standing internationally
2: um i don't know i mean i wouldn't quite go i wouldn't quite go that far uh in the sense that you know real madrid and barcelona are still and by some margin you know you look there's four super clubs around the world and uh barcelona and and real madrid talking by revenue um those guys are always up there. It's Barcelona. It's Real Madrid. It's it's uh, it's Manchester United, and it's Bayern Munich. Um, and I'm I'm talking here about you know reach, prestige, eyeballs, all that stuff. And and the thing is, when you reach a certain size, as Manchester United fans will confirm to you, um, you kind of keep going as a super club with the revenue, with the eyeballs, with the brand. You know, even when you haven't won the league or the Champions League in many, many years. You don't actually need to be very good to to, to maintain that and to continue churning the money. Um, so I think in that sense, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be a, blo- a body blow. I think it's going to be a much bigger blow to to Barcelona, to this Barcelona regime, which are probably coming to an end when, which is, I think, help precipitate... Uh, messi's decision to well to either leave or to you know flex his muscles and act like he's leaving um, because that that is of course the other scenario um, you know in exchange for some total clear out or, or some total type of, of
0: restructuring
1: they've really become world football's punching bag the last few weeks i i, I can't even think of a time that, that Barcelona was ever like this. Um, And and given this messy situation, given how there's been a lot of uh, disruption with him and president Joseph Bartomeu is, is the blame really all at Bartomeu's feet here? I think a
2: lot of things do, right. Um, You know, here's a guy who who has a club. He's had, I think, I mean, four or five, Different board members resign at different times. Um, it has emerged that um, that there's uh, that the club, you know, paid um, social media uh, influencers to, uh, to, to to go and uh, and campaign. Um, be careful how I say this um, in favor in favor of the president. Uh, and, and at times possibly against certain players. That angered a lot of people. Uh, there was the way that the, um, the, the that the, the the wage reduction was handled, um, and, of course, that angered a lot of people, including in particular Messi, not because they had to cut his wage, but because, you know, he felt that he was a punching bag and, and, and he was kind of hung out there um, to dry. Uh, there's just been a lot of things, I think, you know, on on, on the non footballing side, that have gone wrong. Um, on top of that, you throw in the fact that you know this is a club that um, they, they they're way overexpend extended. You know, they've made some very poor decisions in terms of contract. Their wage bill is so high that they can't really um, they've got very little room to maneuver um, in the in the transfer window. And you know, and, and that is on the club, right? That's not great stewardship of the club you know, you throw in the results and look, they won the last two league titles right before this one. So you can say, hey, you know, things surely can't be that bad. But I think people look at Barcelona right now and they see that the future is bleak. And and just as you're looking for some hope and you've got players getting older and, you know, you you, you get rid of Setien, you bring in a new manager and, and hey, look, it's Ronald Koeman. And you're like, oh, really? Um, so, you know, I think it creates this whole environment where a lot of people are down and, you know, people can't wait for the, for the Bartoméo regime to end and, and, and to have new elections and, and to let somebody else have a go. Uh,
0: obviously a guy like Messi is going to fit into any team for the most part, but for Man City, Gab, what does it do exactly in terms of addressing their needs you know i mean i goal goal scoring did not seem to be an issue for that team and i understand it's a big marketing play obviously for Man city as well but tactically what would his addition do for pep should he end up going there at some point
2: yeah i mean i I touch upon this and i i've got a a piece up on um on espn.com uh today about this the first thing to bear in mind is that if messi uh signs for manchester city Assuming he doesn't take a gigantic pay cut, this is going to be an enormous outlay for Man City, and I think what it means first and foremost is that for the duration of his contract, i.e., the next three years, um, whatever plan you had goes out the window, right? Whatever tactical scheme uh, Pep Guardiola had, had had set up or had in mind, you know, it all gets ripped up, and he starts over from scratch for the simple reason that Lionel Messi is a different footballer and at 33 years of age you can't necessarily do the kind of the kind of work off the ball nor do you want him doing the work off the ball that uh Pep Guardiola demands of his wingers right um so you're talking necessarily and this is something that's going to be fascinating about Pep building a team around Messi um to suit Messi's qualities you know if he does sign. So. He doesn't. He doesn't address a need. Is a short answer at Manchester City. What right. he does is, he's such a talent. He's such a generational player, uh, or intergenerational player, even um, that you're going to go and you're going to restructure everything around him and around his presence uh, if he comes. And you know that's going to be fascinating to see if it happens. How does Pep, who's obviously worked with him before? How does Pep go and, and and deal with that? How does he how does he make it work?
1: Is this is going to sound odd, but is is Messi still worth it? Like because the money is astronomical. Over a hundred million uh, is going to be outlaid there just in salary to to Lionel Messi. Uh, I, I the the comparable Cristiano Ronaldo at at Juventus. They've still won their league titles. Uh, but they've kind of fallen back a little bit uh, when it comes to Champions League, despite how great Ronaldo has been uh, from a goal-scoring perspective. You know, is, is it worth it to bring in a player for, for that kind of money and what it may cause for issues around your squad? So I think,
2: I mean, look, for all the criticism that Cristiano Ronaldo gets, um, most people who play with him say that you know, he's a wonderful teammate and a good guy to have around the, the dressing room. And you know I've never played with Lionel Messi uh, or Cristiano Ronaldo for that matter, but um, you know I, you hear the same things about him. So I don't think it's necessarily going to be him, you know, upsetting um, the balance or the collective. You know, if you're asking what does this kind of outlay implicate, right? they're talking about, you know, maybe um, if there's a transfer fee to be paid, something like a hundred million plus another hundred million. A year to Messi, over three years, it's costing you another 130 million, right? That is a ton of money. So, Manchester City, for example, already have one of the highest wage bills in the world. It's right around 400 million uh, a year. Um, simply adding Messi means that you're adding another 25% on top of that. Um, so, then the question is does Messi generate another 100 million? In revenue a year, or more than that, a hundred million plus, whatever the amortized cost of, of his fee is going to be, if, if if they do end up paying a transfer fee, Graham. And the short answer is probably not. Simply in, in nuts and bolts, if they're not going to, you know, generate that much more in terms of, of prize money, um, or in terms of, of sponsorship, or in terms of um, of, of box office receipts. What it does do, though, is then you get into sort of fuzzy metrics like, well, what does it do for the brand? What does it do for global awareness? What does it do for revenue that you'll be getting down the road? And look, there's always marketing guys, right? I mean, marketing is only so much B.S., as as some people say. Um, There's going to be marketing guys who will tell you, oh, yeah, no, look, we can justify it. It's not just a vanity play because it makes sense for this and that reason. I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo at Juventus made sense. Um, I don't think Lionel Messi at those numbers Unless it's a free transfer, um, at Manchester City makes sense. But in the long term, you know, if you're judging brand building over the next five or ten years, you know, maybe there's an argument that it does.
0: Gab, I know that you talked uh, on ESPN a little bit about the the uh, the signing of Donnie Van de Beek by. Uh, by Manchester United and, and sort of what that means for the the midfield right now at, at United, but also uh, what, it, what it means for any future acquisitions by them. Um, do you think that they have just basically punted on Sancho and decided they're going to do whatever else they can and that if Sancho happens, you know, next transfer window or next uh, the transfer window after that, that they'll be okay with that and try to address try to address other areas of need?
2: Um, no, I, I don't think that they've given up on Sancho at all. Um, you know, the the message and, and you know, my, my colleagues, Mark Ogden and Rob Dawson have reported at, uh, at ESPN, um, but others as well, is that, you know, Manchester United's attitudes towards Sancho was they're not going to be held to ransom, um, but they're confident that they'll either get him this year or, or they'll get him next year um, at a price that they're comfortable with. Um, and I don't think that has much to do with, with with Van de Beek. I mean, Van de Beek, of course, plays a different position. Mm-hmm. Um, Van de Beek also, I mean, first of all, at that price, you know, that is a very attractive price. That thirty five, forty million that was uh, that's been thrown out there for a guy who's twenty three years old. Um, now, on the surface, you can say, "Well, gee, you know," in terms of creative midfielders, we already have two really good ones in in Pogba and in Bruno Fernandez, but. But remember, Pogba is entering the or will be entering the last two years of his contract um, and having Van de Beek there gives you a little bit of leverage over him. You know, he's not necessarily indispensable. Um, you know, you're not he's not somebody you have to necessarily keep at all costs. He's somebody that maybe you can shift if you get the right price and if he wants to go. Um, and, and I think that comes into the equation as well. Also. I don't think it's necessarily written in stone that um, Manchester United have to play 4-3-3 or 3-4-3 or whatever. Um, Paul Pogba played some of the best football of his career uh, playing in a diamond um, at Juventus. So could you imagine perhaps something with, with Pogba, Van de Beek and Bruno Fernandes uh, in a diamond with a you know good holding midfielder behind them? Why not? Um, you know, that could be a possibility too. So I think he just, he's just another asset. And I, I think this deal, frankly, makes, makes a ton of sense.
1: Um, it, it's, it's been one of the other, uh, big moves of the off season, but Kai Havertz uh, pulled from Leverkusen training this morning, as it seems the, the Chelsea deal is inevitable. Um, it, it we didn't expect teams to to outlay this kind of cash this year, but, um, Chelsea certainly haven't been shy to, to fork out the dough. I, I, this, this all goes back to last year and I guess the, the transfer ban that they've had, but with all these moves that they have made, Chilwell and Werner and Ziyech, and now we expect Kai Havertz, do you see Chelsea as a title contender?
2: Um, maybe not straight away, just because the gap with, uh, with City and Liverpool is so big. Um, but there's no question that this makes them better uh, overall. What I would caution against is that, I mean, I think Chelsea's attitude was that, you know, there's not going to be many clubs spending money. So again, we're going to acquire assets, people who we think uh, have value. And, you know, you'll remember Kai Havertz's asking price originally was 120 million. Um, And, you know, Chelsea were able to get that all the way down to 72 million plus some bonuses. Um, they, if, if this deal goes through and, and this has not been an easy deal, I think it's a kind of thing where you say, we well, let's acquire the player and then figure out what to do with him later, let, figure out where he fits in later. Um, Chelsea now have a lot of players. You're going to have to, I think, shift some players to help offset the cost of these guys. And they have a whole bunch of, 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 of saleable assets. So that's not going to be a problem. But just remember with Havertz is he's still very young. He's played a whole range of positions. What he is is a very raw uh, talent who, in my opinion, didn't get the best coaching at Bayer Leverkusen under uh, under Peter Boss. So I don't think he's somebody who's necessarily going to be plug and play for Chelsea, but, but he doesn't need to be because, you know, they've got enough other guys there that they can, you know, be a little bit more patient with them. And you know, if it takes them six months or or even a year to to really settle in and start contributing and start developing into the player that they want him to be, so be it.
1: Gab, we uh, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, we'll we'll see where this Lionel Messi saga ends up next week, and uh, we'll talk again in the future. Thank you.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having Thanks, me on. Gab.
1: That is Gab Marcotti here on a kick in the grass. All right, so lots of stuff happening from a Canadian perspective over the weekend Uh, and uh, let's take a look Kadisha Buchanan we rave so much about Alfonso Davies well Kadisha Buchanan with Lyon winning a fourth Champions League title for them the fifth in a row overall and she's been a staple of this the the top women's team for years Jeff Um, doesn't doesn't quite get the love she deserves as being such a quality player does she
0: no. Um, and in fairness to her, though, I think she would be the first to tell you that Christine Sinclair kind of uh, deserves in some ways to suck up as much of the soccer limelight as she does in this country. But your, your point is really well made. And, you know, this is the thing about Kadisha Buchanan I like so much is when you watch her play, her her tactical awareness is remarkable and if you saw any of the the highlights of the women's uh, of, of the women's champions league game there are a couple of defensive plays she made where she is just she's so composed now compared to what she used to be you know there you always had the chant the idea with her that that um she was she was she was going to overcome her mistakes now you get the sense that she doesn't make mistakes and that is a huge step forward and I really, you know, I would love to see as much as we talk about Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. I would love to see the Canadian women's program get the right type of coaching here and and have this group take one more run at at whether it's whether it's a women's World Cup or an Olympic gold medal. Because I think as as much as we focus on the depth of the Canadian men's program, we tend to forget just how deep this women's program was and. Like I said, I just want this whole group to be together and get one more run at this.
1: And it's pretty incredible just seeing uh, all this Canadian talent, though, like having success at the highest stage, right? And, you know, what What happens with David uh, is, is going to be interesting, but, you know, that pipeline, how much longer does it continue and, and do we continue to build players like this is – Is huge, but it's a lot of fun getting to see uh, our own talent succeeding at the top level. Jesse Fleming made her Chelsea debut coming off the bench uh, to help Chelsea close a 2-0 win over Manchester City in the Community Shields. Janine Becky also played in that match, scored for Man City, uh, but her goal was called back for offside. Um, And this is an interesting story, Jeff. Um, According to Turkish media, Canada soccer has reached out to Ferdi Kadioglu, who plays with Fenerbahce in Turkey. He is currently a Dutch under 21, born in Netherlands to a Turkish father and a Canadian-born mother. He's 20 years old, four goals, four assists in the Turkish Super League this season. If John Herdman can pull this off, it would be huge to add another piece to the Canadian attack.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if Atiba Hutchinson's been texting been texting him a lot uh been texting him a lot lately yeah Look, well, we've talked about it, it it's yeah. uh you know i it, again it's the idea that the canadian the average canadian soccer player was going to have to get by by you know it was going to be a grafter and was going to uh you know have to, to to work super hard to get everything done and it wasn't going to be very pretty and it the end the, probably what you were going to end up is a missed corner or something like that. Not anymore. There's there's just so much Canadian talent out there, offensive talent, uh, and yeah, it, boy, if you're John Herdman, um, the options you would have, and and what I like is especially if you look at the Canadian men's program now, you're starting to see a little separation, Danny, in terms of age. You know, you know what I mean? You've got older guys, you've got guys in their mid-20s, you've got really young guys. And that's key because one of the things John Herdman talks about is wanting to get almost an assembly line going so that you have somebody ready to become the next Ativa Hutchinson or the next Jonathan Osorio. And, and that's, I think, what you're working towards with Canada. And we saw this at one point with the Canadian Women's Programme where John Herdman was very aggressive in going after Canadian soccer players with dual nationality. And I think we're at that point now with the men's program as well.
1: And Jonathan David played 69 minutes in his second match for Lille. They were 1-0 winners. But uh, for him, it's been a struggle so far, to say the least, to get integrated Mm. with his new club. He had just 12 touches last week, Jeff, 26 this week. Uh, just a 50% pass completion rate, uh, did have a shot that uh, went over the bar, um, and also one key pass in the match, but uh, certainly just hasn't yet found his footing with his new club.
0: No, it, it, it's a better league, and he's not necessarily going to be the fastest guy in the pitch all the time, and he, he is going to, I mean, it, it's a step up, and and I think that You know, looking back on it now, I think a lot of us thought we'd like to see Jonathan David maybe go to the Bundesliga. At one point, people were talking about the Premier League. That's purely selfish so we can watch the guy on TV. But I think maybe what you're seeing initially is just a reflection of the fact that this is the right move for him. This league, if he's being challenged at this level, that's good because he's got plenty of time to meet this challenge and move on. And the other thing I think we have to remember is this is just such a wacky uh, close se- or transfer window and just such a wacky uh, off season that I don't know what expectations you can have for a guy moving into a new club. You know, I, I just don't, I think you have to expect a, a, a rather rough period where of, of betting in and that, that could very well be what he's going through right now.
1: A yeah, record transfer for Lille was Jonathan David. Uh, we'll see how he continues to develop. It's Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on a kick in the grass. You can always send in questions for the show on Twitter via DM at Dan Riccio underscore and at SN Jeff Blair. Coming up next, Mark Ogden, ESPN senior writer, his thoughts on Lionel Messi developments and a little bit of a look ahead to how the Premier League season is shaping up. That is next here on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on A Kick in the Grass, it is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair, now happy to be joined by ESPN senior writer Mark Ogden. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Ogden underscore. Thanks for this, Mark. How
3: are you? Good, thanks. Hope you're well.
1: Uh yeah, we are we are well. And uh it's it's been a wild week. Obviously, uh when Lionel Messi takes over the headlines, it's uh it's it's caused up a little bit of a stir. Um what's what's your latest feel on this? It seems uh, Manchester City is the favorite to acquire Lionel Messi's services, but uh doesn't seem like it's going to be an easy acquisition to say the least.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Man City've got a lot of um a lot of connections to to Barcelona, to Lionel Messi, obviously Pep Guardiola's is the coach, they've got Ferran Soriano is the chief executive, they've got Chiqui Bagiristain is the director of football, all former Barcelona guys and they all know Lionel Messi and um, you know, if there's one club in the world that could actually afford to get Lionel Messi it's, it's Mantis, um, especially now that they've avoided a, a Champions League ban for two years. So, the question is, is he available on a free transfer or is he available for 700 million euros? I mean, there's a massive gap in terms of his valuation there. So at the moment, um, La Liga are saying it's, it's a full contract, it's 700 million euros. Barca say that, Messi says otherwise. So I think the first thing we have to address is how much will he cost? And if there's a fee involved, then it makes him a much more expensive deal to do. But even if they do get him for free, he still earns 100 million pounds a year. So I'm not sure what that is in dollars, but that's... Um, it's a heavy, heavy salary to cover. So the finances might make it a difficult deal for anybody to do.
0: You know, I think the thing that that kind of happened this week that perhaps got a lot of people's attention, Mark, and maybe it was predictable in some ways, but it, it seems now as if Lionel Messi staying with Barcelona is not just a matter for Barcelona, but it almost seems to be a, a point of pride for La Liga you heard a lot of comments from La Liga executives I don't know how other teams feel about this necessarily but this is clearly look it's a good league got some really attractive teams but if they lose Messi that is a blow to La Liga isn't it not just Barca
3: absolutely you know they they lost Ronaldo two years ago to Juventus and that was that was a big loss because you had the old Ronaldo Messi situation uh, and now Messi going to be it would be a hammer blow, especially if he went to the Premier League, which is, you know, widely re- regarded as the, the most exciting and richest league in the world. So losing the Liga's biggest start to the Premier League would be disastrous. I think, let's, let's be honest, you know, at some point in the not-too-distant future, Barcelona and the Liga are going to lose Lionel Messi. He's 33 now and he's, you know, what's he going to be like at 35, 36? He, he never looks like a guy that's enjoying the game like Ronaldo does or, or Zlatan. He, he looks like a guy that's weighed down by the pressure, so they play for Argentina or Barcelona. So may, maybe in the best-case scenario, there's only, there's only two years left of Messi anyway. So in some ways, it's not the best business model that either Barca or La Liga have got to rely so heavily on Messi. They may be a better product for both. might be a better product without Messi. It, it, it may seem ridiculous, but Barca can't rebuild while Messi's there because anybody that comes in is instantly in the shadow of this, this god. You know, look at Antoine Griezmann, he had a an average first season because he could never shine with Messi there. Now, if Messi's out of the picture, out of the equation, all these guys have to rise to the occasion and suddenly new stars will emerge. You know, Dembele might become a player again. Griezmann might become a player. And La Liga might find that rather than have one megastar, they have five or six superstars. So, But <laughs> that might not be the way they're looking at it right now. But I do think there is a, an upside to this if if Messi does go to, to Man City or anywhere in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, I mean... It... It's it's so easy to say. Of course, uh, any club would love to have Lionel Messi and and get those goals and and obviously the attention that he would bring. But um, when you look at it from a Manchester City perspective, it, it's not as if goals were their issue. Mark last season, right? I mean, they they had plenty of those. Led the Premier League by by quite a bit um, in in goals scored. So uh, I get it. Messi's awesome, but is is the fit right there? Um, for for well, Manchester
3: City, uh, you're totally right in what you say about the goals. City don't need the goals, um, and let's be honest, signing Lionel Messi doesn't guarantee trophies because Barca didn't win a trophy last year. They haven't won the Champions League since 2015, so having Lionel Messi in the team doesn't automatically guarantee you win things. I think what this is for Man City, this is a deal that will that will make that will take them into a stratosphere in terms of global recognition. They are still quite a young, not they're not a young club, but they're a young that horrible word project. So, they, you know, a sporting project. They're 12 years old. Since Abu Dhabi took over, and the one thing they've always kind of struggled with is is a kind of a global recognition that they have nowhere near the same fan base or resonance as Manchester United, as Liverpool, as you know, as Bar Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. They're, they're not in the same league. They're a long, long way adrift. And, and hiring Pep Guardiola helped in terms of making City a bigger, a bigger name, more attractive. But it, even still, with Pep, it hasn't really been the the magic bullet. You know, Messi would take them to a different level. And maybe this the idea of this deal is that it's a commercial deal, you know, it's a great football player as well, he won't, won't bring something to the team, but commercially, this would enable City to grow to the point where all the issues they have with UEFA and financial fair play might dis, dissipate. Because if you've got Lilo Messi in your team, then you're suddenly a much more attractive proposition to, to global sponsors, to people that want to put money into the club. And, you know, that is what City need to do. They need to they need to grow that side of their business because right now all of their big sponsorship deals are pretty much based with companies from the United Arab, Emir- Arab, Emir- Arab Emirates. Apart from the kit deal with with Puma, you know the, the major sponsor Etihad. They've got Etisalat. They've got all these companies that are based in the UAE. They need to start doing deals with American companies, with Far Eastern companies, to to show that they can generate income from outside their little tiny part of the Middle East. So Messi would would enable them to do that. So maybe. This would be a deal for the long-term health of Man City, rather than the short-term health on the pitch, because Messi would make them a big earner. But you know that may only last until he until he retires.
0: And that really is the one thing separating Man City from Man U right now, isn't it? Is I, I you know I don't know if they sit around the offices that the Eddie had and worry about this, but um, you know Manchester United is a big brand in the Far East. It's it's a big brand around the world. And I, I, it, that's kind of the thing, separating them from Man City, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. You know, when, um, when Abu Dhabi took over you know, 10, 12 years ago, we, at the time, we, we spoke to some of the execs and uh, they made the point of, of talking about the, the Pepsi-Cola wars back in the back in the 80s where mm-hmm. obviously Coca-Cola was the, the globally established brand. Everyone knew Coca-Cola, so Coca-Cola was like the Man United of soft drinks and Man City with the Pepsi. And they felt that they could grow their brand by piggybacking on the back of Man United's Coca-Cola as Pepsi did back in the day. And, you know, they've had some success with that. Being in Manchester United's Shadow has actually helped Man City in terms of generating some interest and publicity. But yes, you know, they are still a long way short of of United in terms of getting big deals. You know, Liverpool are much closer to United than Man City. City have had 10 years of success. I don't know what it is. It's a strange it's a strange phenomenon, you know, it's all all the big clubs around the world, all the all the clubs with a huge fan base are clubs that have had success in maybe the 1960s and 1970s, it, it's it's deep-rooted, it's deep you know, it's it's something that takes a long time to establish, you know, you could even argue that clubs in Scotland like Celtic and Rangers have a much bigger global fan base from following the Man City because their success has been so prolonged and City is still struggling, you know, Chelsea have had 15, 16 years under Abramovich and their fan base is still, it's, it's growing globally but it's not where you'd think it would be after the success they've had and the, the character they've had like Mourinho and Lampard, Terry, Drogba, they've even won the Champions League, which Man City haven't done. So, you know, City are still struggling. The, the, the biggest challenge that they have yet to overcome is to, is to crack that code where they can elevate themselves alongside the super clubs in terms of supporters across the world. And, it, you know, I, I see, I, I pre-Covid, I used to travel quite a lot watching watching football and you'd, whenever I went to the States or to the Far East on pre-season tours, if you covered Man United, Liverpool, it was like following the Beatles. Yeah, there, mm-hmm. were people, there were people, the people sleeping in hotel lobbies. There were, it, it was just there were thousands of training sessions. It was crazy, absolute crazy airports. There was welcoming committees. With Man City, you feel like you just, you know, arriving with a, I better not say, it, but you know, a, a low-key team from the middle of nowhere when they arrive at the airport. There's no real sense of occasion, and so Messi being in, in, in the, the package would help that. But so that's why I think it is as much a commercial thing as a football thing.
1: Yeah, and uh, Messi does have that kind of pull. It's just hard to, to, to make up for lost time and, and build that history in, in the last 12 years, as you mentioned. Um, let us uh, We're already less than two weeks away from the start of the new Premier League season. It's crazy how quickly it's, it's kind of flipped around here. And the transfer window in full swing. I know this morning at ESPN you wrote on uh, the Liverpool and Thiago saga. Um, Liverpool's interesting. They're they're clearly not um, in, in a spending mode. They're pretty happy with their squad, but this seems like a, a no-brainer of a deal. What's the hold-up?
3: Yeah, I mean, Liverpool's squad has, has delivered over the last 18 months, hasn't it? It's really won yeah. everything to win, you know, the big trophies, but they haven't really made any significant acquisitions since... Well, since the since they won the since the Champions League final in 2018, when they lost to, to Real Madrid and they added people like Fabinho and, and what have you. 2018 was a big year for Liverpool. They signed Van Dijk, Alisson Becker, Fabinho and a couple of others. But, you know, since last summer when they won the Champions League, they've signed Takumi Minamino and the, and the, the new left-back from, from Greece. So, they haven't really strengthened at the top. And, and the situation they're in now is that because of, of the COVID situation with... That's, that's really hit their finances, they're already thirty one pounds down on where they want to be. So if they want to sign Thiago Alcantara, they have to let somebody go. Somebody has to leave Liverpool to force in the wage bill or to bring it a fee in. It's why they didn't sign Timo Werner. They you know Klopp admitted that, you know, the money wasn't there to do it. So you'd think Liverpool of all the success they've had in, in the recent months would have the money to do it, but they don't. And they also have they don't have that sense of recklessness to do it either. So so I've been told that if Thiago is to happen, and there is an interest there, they will have to a player of significance will have to leave, and the only player that it could be is, is Gino Wijnaldum because his contract expires in twelve months' time. He's not indicated that he wants to sign the terms on offer. Liverpool don't want to kind of meet his demands. There's a big gap between the two players, the player in the club. So, if Wijnaldum leaves, it would free up space to sign Thiago. But if Wijnaldum stays, and it looks like he may do and run his contract down, then they won't be able to sign Thiago. Uh, you know, it's not a big, it's not an expensive deal. It's twenty-seven million pound, I think, for a twenty-nine-year-old with, you know, with world-class abilities. But in the current climate, it is a big deal because clubs are struggling for f- finances. It's, it's it's a really hard time for clubs right now. Uh,
0: what did you make of the Donny Van de Beek signing by Manchester United, and how do you see him being used with Paul Pogba and and Bruno Fernandes?
3: Well, United were were quite keen to sign van der Beek in January because they felt that with Ajax being knocked out of the Champions League at the group stage last season that they would need money and Ajax, they're a club that will always sell players when the need arises because, you know, Dutch football doesn't generate the sort of money that English football does. That didn't happen in January. There was a, an element of Real Madrid working on van der Beek. I think he preferred to move to Madrid. But again, finances have hit Real Madrid quite hard. They can't do the deal now, so... You know, Van der Beek for me is a is a really good signing for United. He, he's a, I think he's a, he's a cheaper and he's a better option than the other options which were Jack Grealish and, and James Madison because you know Van der Beek can play different positions. He's, he's young. He's got international pedigree, and I think he will fit in quite well. You know, in and around Bruno Fernandez, he, he he will give the the work ethic that sometimes Pogba doesn't give. Pogba can fall asleep at times, and you know Van der Beek's got a good kind of upbringing at Ajax. I, I just think that. Uh, He's a good addition to the squad he's, he's better than what they've got and that, that's all you can ask for at this stage you know hmm. last season had people like jesse lingard and andres pereira coming off the bench now they've got donny van de Beek, so it's definitely an upgrade
1: we uh we heard this morning that uh kai Havertz has been pulled out of leverkusen training as it seems the transfer to chelsea is now inevitable it's been a big big uh summer signing season for for chelsea uh, this would be the, the cherry on top of it all, I believe. But you know, with all these signings comes great expectation and that's that's gonna be new for, for Frank Lampard, um, who kind of last year didn't didn't really have the weight of expectation that normally follows the Chelsea manager. How how do you think he deals with that pressure?
3: It's a really good point. I I was making this point to somebody last week that, you know, Frank Lampard had a free pass last year. His first twelve months of Chelsea manager work, you know. Do what you can. You can't sign any players, but just do what you can. And he came in, gave some young players a chance. They've done well for him, but now they've spent the money they got for Eden Hazard. They're really giving it a go, and it, he really is now. He's a Chelsea manager now. He knows what it's like to be the Chelsea manager to be told by Abramovich that you, you know, you have to deliver, and it's, it's going to be tough because Roman Abramovich over the years has been pretty ruthless with some pretty high-profile coaches like Mourinho and Ancelotti. So, you know, Lampard has to, has to deliver this time. and I think. You know, this they bring in Kai Havertz and they've they've signed Thiago Silva, you know, obviously Timo Werner's arrived at Hakim's out. They haven't signed a goalkeeper yet, and I think they do need a goalkeeper because you know, Lampard isn't isn't convinced at all by Kappa. So if they also get a goalkeeper as well, you know, that's a clear case of a Brambic set of Lampard right. I've backed you, so I want you to win something significant this season, whether it's the Champions League or the Premier League. And I'm not quite sure Chelsea are ready yet. So it's going to be tough for Lampard to meet those expectations. You know, no no Chelsea manager has ever survived under Abramovich having on two seasons without a trophy. So, you know, the pressure's on because he didn't win a trophy last season. So if Lampard doesn't win a trophy this year, he's in trouble.
1: And uh, the the other thing that's um, amazing, we're seeing all these signings. We're hearing about Leo Messi, Kai Havertz, uh, Donny van de Beek. And all these clubs, um, in their chase to catch Liverpool, are desperately in need of a centre-back, Mark. And doesn't seem, other than Thiago Silva, it doesn't seem um, like either club or any of these clubs, Manchester City, Chelsea, Man United have have found that target is is that target out there does he even exist right now
3: well I know that United are um, looking at at RB Leipzig I've, I've done a piece on that today that United think that they can get Upamecano during the window Right. You know, Man City is still looking at Bali at Napoli but Bali is 29 and he's a he's a player with a few miles on the clock so maybe they see him as a as an instant solution but maybe um Maybe that they're looking at bringing in Lionel Messi and Kylian because it reminds me a little bit of when Man United signed Van Persie ahead of um, ahead of Ferguson's final season. Ferguson just wanted somebody that could do the job there and then to get the title won. Maybe he knew at the time it would be his last year. So who knows? Maybe maybe City have thrown everything at Messi and Kylian because they need to keep keep Pep. They need this could be the last the last year with Pep. His contract expires next summer. Hasn't won the Champions League yet, so maybe it's a last a real kind of big throw the dice that give it a real good go bring in the best players and you know either win the champions league or persuade pep to to stay a bit longer so um it's interesting but yeah i do think that all clubs want the center half and Upamikano is probably the best bet at the younger end of the scale and i think koulibaly at 29 is one of the better ones at the top end of the scale but neither will be cheap they will both be expensive
1: uh mark ogden you can follow him on twitter by his name a little uh underscore at the end of that as well uh thanks for this mark really appreciate your time this morning and uh hopefully we'll talk again soon
3: cheers, cheers mark. thank you
1: there is mark ogden coming up next your questions for us here on a kick in the grass also a code to join our premier league fantasy league that's next here on a kick in the grass Final segment of A Kick in the Grass, Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. And yes, Jeff, we're like, what, uh, 12 days away, 10 days away from the new Premier League season. So that means we got to get fantasy going,
0: right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We got to have a fantasy league.
1: And we do. I created one last night. So we've got a Premier League fantasy league. It's at PremierLeague.com. Uh, the code to join and compete against us here on A Kick in the Grass is P-P-I-B-D-6. Uh, so there is your code. Again, P-P-I-B-D-6 is the code to join our Premier League Fantasy League. And uh, we'll give you a shout-out if you have the highest score of the week. Each and every week, we'll give you, the listener, the highest score. You'll get a shout-out here on A Kick in the grass.
0: Hey, Danny, I was going to ask you, I'm in a draft fantasy league. How many people do you think are going to try to tank in the first week? (laughs) And and so that they get first call on Lionel Messi, if he were to join in like three weeks or something, (laughs) how many people do you think are going to do that? Just keep an eye out for that. If you're in a fantasy league and, and and, and let us know DM me or, or Riccio and give us the name of the person who's tanking to the possibility of getting Lionel Messi, you know, someone's going to think of it.
1: Yeah, I, I have the same problem in my uh, in my Fanta Calcio League, my, my Italian Serie A fantasy, you know, like we, we've got our draft next next Monday um, and, and I'm worried, like, do we spend all of our auction dollars right away or do we wait till the end of the uh, the October transfer window? Got to got to right. stay flexible, you know?
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to change my, uh, change my approach from last year, right there.
1: All right, let's get to injury time here on a kick in the grass. Your questions for us, you can send them on Twitter via DM at Dan Riccio, underscore at S N Jeff Blair, and also on Instagram at Dan Riccio. I send out a little graphic with a question box each and every Sunday in the lead up to our Monday taping. We have questions from. Former Vancouver Canucks goaltender Eddie Lack. Eddie wants to know <laughs> on Twitter: Will Manchester United sign anyone? Jeff, this is this is your field. So right. you and Eddie are, are, are co-red devil lovers. So uh, I'll let you answer this one.
0: Well, they already signed. I, I I think they've already made their big signing in Donny Van de Beek. I'm happy with that. I've said time and time again. If Jaden Sancho doesn't want to come to United, you know, wait. I, 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 as great a player as he is, and as much that as much as you need that type of player, if you're going to go on a run, both in the league and in the Champions League and an FA Cup and all that good stuff, I needed to see this team get better in the midfield. They've certainly done that. I like the fact that Oli's oh, now got some options for Paul Pogba. You know, Gab Marcotti talked about having to play in a diamond. I like that. Now, if they can address the back line, if you can figure out a way to keep Victor Lindelof out of any game <laughs> that matters, right? I, I, he, would, he would be on my bench. I don't even know. He would be... I, I can't even imagine what would have to happen for me to want him in a match. So if you can do something that keeps him off the pitch, I'm fine. That's a successful... That's a successful transfer market for me. I think I think I think Van de Beek is going to be is is great. He's a he's an interesting guy. He's kind of a, he's a box to box midfielder. Um, he's really he's a really cerebral player. Um, the running joke in in the in in the in in the Netherlands was how he was a master of cheating VAR. How he was a guy who always looked like he was offside and you'd go to VAR and there was, and he had just made the right decision at the right split second. He's I think he's exactly what this team needed and uh, as you can tell I'm a little excited uh, by him. So there you go. Long answer to the first question.
1: Well, they, they might want to find a center back as well, um, but yes. yeah we'll we'll see how that how that develops uh we've got jesse coming in uh with this question are the 2020 whitecaps worse than 2012 tfc
0: wow you talk about you talk about the crap standard you know i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna (laughs) dad i'll i'll leave it with you i'll leave it with you
1: uh, you know what? At least uh, 2012 TFC won the Canadian Championship. So uh, yeah, was it the <laughs> neutral? No, the... <that's> right. <laughs> what was it the, nutri- the, nu- <laughs> the neutral Lake Cup or whatever the hell? I don't know what it was. Um, but whatever it was, uh, at least uh, TFC got a trophy that year. I don't think you'll be able to say the yeah. same about the Whitecaps. Man, they are uh, they are a mess. Good group of people there, but um, right now it is not a pretty picture. Uh, for yeah, you got a German. Vancouver you got a White German Gas. in
0: charge. It'll work out. You got a German in <laughs> charge. It'll work out.
1: Dave in Mississauga, how would you rank Chelsea, Tottenham, and Arsenal? Where oh, will they finish uh, in the table this year?
0: I love this. Uh, okay, first of all, I, I think I think Tottenham is going to be horrible. Uh, <laughs> I think. It, Wait, you didn't it like the Tot- Matt
1: Doherty signing? <laughs>
0: Tottenham. I can see Tottenham finishing 11th. How about that? I, I, just, I, I just don't think they're that good. And I think Harry Kane is going to be bored as hell, and ultimately Harry Kane is going to leave, and that, that's when the, that's when the roof caves in. Look, I talked last year about Arsenal. I'm all in on Arsenal. I love what what Mikel Arteta has done. I love the way he approached, he approached the Community Shield. I mean, it's, it's the first time in a long time, and this is not an original thought uh this is something that the boys on the on the uh on the guardian football podcast were talking about but it was the first time in a long time you saw an arsenal team that basically had two phases to their game they defend with five they move forward when they had the chance there was a real sense of purpose about them i love their young players i think william william is a great addition if they can get pierre emmerich albema yang signed Get that done. I think this team is positioned to maybe, 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 maybe sneak into sneak into the top, maybe the top five, top six, and and you know Chelsea serious man. I think Chelsea right now I would put them ahead of uh, of Manchester United in my mind. I think they are, I think they're a real contender. I I really do, and I understand it's going to be hard to get guys vetted in. Kai Havertz is just going to join them it seems today or tomorrow. But I think they're, um, I think they're the real deal, Danny. I, I think both those teams are, are, are going to be fun to watch.
1: I can't I can't disagree with you. I'd say uh, Chelsea top, then uh, Arsenal and Tottenham last of the London clubs. Chelsea's really interesting, man, with all these these moves that they've made. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens with Liverpool, but. Um, Anytime a champion doesn't do a ton to improve, I'm always worried, even though they did have such a large, large gap last year. Uh, you can always send in your questions at Dan Riccio underscore for injury time and at SN Jeff Blair. That's it for us. This has been another edition of A Kick in the Grass.